Ochoa. I started the last one. I <laughs> I gotta say, I'm definitely I'm definitely recording. This is all making it into the episode. Well, I started that one episode where I said your name like that, and now it's just gonna live. Anytime we start with me asking the question, I have to say Pam Ochoa. But all right, Pam Ochoa, I have a question for you today. My question for you is. When you know a writing conference is going good, what is it? What do you start to feel like? What are the the hallmarks when you're in a writing conference that's really working well? What does that feel like? How do you express that to us? When uh, when is it going well? When's it going well? Well, I believe that it's going well when the student starts kind of going. Ah, ah, yeah. <laughs> I had one just the other day, and that's kind of what happened. So that's why I'm thinking about that. I I didn't know where that child was was going, uh, and uh, so I had to really ask some questions. But then all of a sudden, she started. Ah, I think. Oh, I now know. Oh, what if I do it this way? And when they start contributing. And feeding off of what I just said, and then it becomes totally their idea. They get all excited, and you can see it in their faces. They get all real, like they can't wait to go back and write. And she goes, oh, okay, I can't wait. And so then, so she leaves, and then uh, later on, I see her in the daytime, you know, in another, in the hallway. And I said, well, did you, how did that work for you? Because to be real honest, this particular person wasn't my student. Mm. A teacher sent her to me and called me on the phone and said, are you working with your kids right now? I said, well, I'm always working with my kids. <laughs> well, do you have a second to work with one of mine? I don't know how to conference with her. So I said, sure, send her on over. So I got the kids busy, said I have another conference to do. The, the little girl comes in and she wanted to take, um, the teacher did not want her to turn what she wanted to say into an argument. So she wanted to, because, you know, we're supposed to be doing an argument later. And so she wanted her to do information. And it, and it really stems from that lesson that we did the other day, you know, that I talked about right. the informational lesson. Mm-hmm. And so when I started talking to her, I used, I used a thing called classical invention from Aristotle's classical invention, um, where you ask questions. And so I started asking her a few questions. So what is this compared to? Uh, what if you? What is it that you want to say? And she told me what she wanted to say. I said, "Well, what do you need to know before you can really say that?" And then so we started kind of talking about that. And then all of a sudden, she was like, oh, "I know what I can do. I can talk about how it started and how it is now and how it'll be." Oh my God! I know exactly what to do now. And so when she she started through my questioning, she figured out what she was going to do. So it's a matter of listening to the student and then. Uh, so later on, when I saw this particular student, I said, so how did it go? She goes, oh, my goodness. When I got back to my classroom, I just wrote and wrote and wrote until the bell rang. It was awesome. I know exactly what I'm going to say. It was really neat. So that's how I know it goes well when they go, ah, and they want to go back and write really fast. Oh, my God. And with that, guys, welcome to the Craft and Draft podcast with Pam Ochoa and Jacob Chastain. Today, we're talking all about conferring with students, reading and writing. I'm sure we'll talk about both. We're going to go deep into the process. Um, 
start with our growth in conferring, our trepidation with conferring, and then what it is today. And it's definitely, I'm going to speak for Ochoa here, it is the heart of our workshop. It is the heart of everything we do. It, it drives our teaching to such a degree that it's probably going to be several episodes worth eventually of the Craft and Draft <laughs> podcast. But welcome. We're going to dive deep into it today. Alrighty, Ochoa, this, um, I love, I, I mean, I, I love what you said and this, this idea of conferring, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't jump into, uh, conferences, reading or writing, um, uh, willingly necessarily. Like it was, it was something that like I would read in a book or someone would tell me and I didn't know how to kind of jump into it. You know what I mean? Like it's such a, it's such a weird, like it's easy to tell someone like, Hey, ask these types of questions or model your questions after your state test or, um, read this passage and use this reading strategy. But conferring is so it's, it's nebulous in a way until you start doing it. Once you do it, you can easily spot, what a good conference is and what a bad conference is, but it feels it, it's, but unfortunately and fortunately it is so dependent on doing it that it, you can't, there's really no other way. Do you feel that way? Like what I want to go our origin stories with conferring. Cause I think that will help bring in some people who this might be a new concept and then we can go deep into what conferences are today. So when, when you think of how you started with conferring and reading or writing, whatever you want to talk about, where, where was your brain when you started and how did you, how did you feel just starting out doing that? Well, uh, to be honest, the first time I started it, well, I, I received it in that training that I had with Abydos. Uh At that time it was New Jersey writing New Jersey riding in Texas with uh, Dr. Carroll and Eddie Wilson. But the but the thing is, is they showed us how to confer. And they said it was pivotal. I had not, I had been teaching for like three or four years before that and never even thought about it, never even crossed my mind to confer with the kids. They were just supposed to do what I said and we were all happy. And it, you know, but they weren't happy. They weren't happy and I was kind of miserable. So, so, so it, they did it with me and we had um melinda she was one of my trainers melinda was and uh and she just knew i had okay we had to have writing and so they set up a paper and they we would go and sign up for conferences and that's all they did is they said well you know they showed us a little bit about it but i had never experienced it i never had a teacher really do that with me and so i didn't know how to do it so they put so we had to sign up for a conference so we signed up i signed up for my conference and they told me i had to come with a question well and we had to do it to get credit for the day that kind of thing and so uh, so I, my question was, I don't know how to begin this piece, which is typically my biggest issue always. I never know how to begin. And so, um, so anyway, it, she just knew exactly what to say with me. And she asked me a series of questions and it lasted just for a few minutes. And then she sent me off on my way and I had a better idea on how to start. So that's how I first started with um, conferencing. And then, of course, I did it that year with ninth graders. 
And that was the first time. And the biggest thing that I find is difficult to do is we have a tendency to push it off. You can't get all the kids done in a day. And then you're like, well, so, so you end up, especially when you're new, I don't think you really understand the importance of it. So as a teacher, I would go, well, I'll get to that later. And then a whole six weeks or grading period would pass by and I hadn't talked to one student. So I had to literally write it down and make myself do it. So I don't know. How about you? I mean, I mean, so my origin of conferring was like people talking to me about it and I had no idea what they were talking about. (laughs) Like it was, <laughs> right. I mean, like I would just hear the word and it would sound good. Like, go talk to your students. Sweet. I can get behind that concept. My literacy coach at the time, Kate Nelson, I had her on uh, season one in Teach Me Teacher, where we talked about kind of the, the reading myths debunked. She was the first person who handed me Donalyn Miller. She handed me Kelly Gallagher's Read Aside. You know, she was the one who pushed all of those ideas, uh, not only to me, but to our campus and really changed the course of that campus entirely just by uh, supporting us and giving us great ideas. But this this concept, you know, I read like Donalyn Miller's Book Whisperer, and that was the first book that, in terms of reading instruction, like just completely changed my life because it was what Donalyn does so well is describe what like you read her and you're like, oh yeah, duh, like this should be <laughs> this should right. be how reading instruction is. Like you should talk to kids about books and you should create. Um, a culture of readers and you should model what good readers do and, and how do readers talk about books. And, but it, that's something that like, you know, for me in, in general, like I'm a, my, I became a teacher through an alt cert, right? So I didn't even have core classes about it. So like, I was really just going into it kind of blind and her book really changed, but like even her talking about that stuff, it was, I would, I would read that And then I would go to trainings uh, via the district or the campus or whatever, and um, they would be talking about standards and talking about data and talking about tests and stuff like that. But I was never really taught how to talk to students in a way that was authentic and that could help those things, right? Like I think what Mm -hmm. you and I have done in Craft and Draft is mold – authentic literacy with what modern schools are forced to contend with, right? Like we're not the, I think what we do, the the service that I think that we're bringing here with uh, you and I just combined is we, we know what's authentic. We know what the research shows, but we also know what real teachers have to deal with. Like we can't just ignore standards and we can't ignore standardized mm-hmm. testing and we can't ignore uh, the constant ask for data on teachers, right? Like that is, those right. are realities that I think a lot of uh, professionals in the field kind of get to ignore because they're paid so well otherwise. Um, right. You and I are not like that. Our income is no. teaching. So like, <laughs> no, I, right. <laughs> I have to work. <laughs> yeah. So we, so with that in mind though, we approach everything we do with, okay, so this is great. This sounds good, but how on earth does this help me with my test scores? How does this help me move my data on this standard or that standard or this standard? And when I first started out, 
what my biggest resistance to it was I did not see how talking to my students about their reading or their writing um, would do anything. And I, I want to be clear. I definitely start on the reading side first, which I think is pretty common among English teachers. Um, but I definitely was like, I don't even I mean, kids weren't even reading in my room. So first step was like having them read. And then I was like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to talk about this standard in the lesson and then transition that into what they were doing. So the way I legit started was like feeling like I was failing students. And that sounds really bad to say out loud, but like I legit, like I would just sit with kids and I would talk to them about their reading. And I was like, you know what, at the very least... I'm helping them become better readers. And then that transitioned into, at the very least, I'm building relationships with them because I'm talking to them as people, right? Like I'm interacting with them and I'm asking, hey, what are you reading? What do you think about it? Is it cool? Is it awesome? Does it suck? You know, like going through that right. whole process. And that was, I mean, that was legit the origin. And it's hilarious to say that right now because I could not teach without conferring these days. Like I would feel completely tied down if I did not confer. It is the heart of what I do every single day. But to think about like where I started, where like I literally thought I was doing something wrong by talking to students like that. I mean, that has to be something that's just unfortunately ingrained into our political or not political, our, uh, our school system. Do, do you agree with that? Well, I think so, because the biggest issue is, what do you do with all the other kids while you're talking to the one? So if you bring the student up to you, the first question that teachers would ask me when I tried to get them to do this would be, but what do I do with the other 29? I mean, how am I going to know they're going to work? I mean, I've got to watch them. I can't watch them and talk to this student. Yeah. But, um, and, and so. that's a valid question, by the way. Let's not. Yeah. Like, that is, that's a hundred percent valid question. Mm -hmm. It's like, what am I doing with these other kids while I'm talking to this kid for two minutes? Right. And, and the thing is to me, what I've learned is if they are reading, truly reading and, and writing on something that they feel is important to them. If it's truly authentic and real to the student, you don't have to worry most of the time about what they're going to be doing. In other words, because they're going to be into it. And then what's really neat, I know that I've I've been successful when the students start asking me without me prompting, can I have a conference? And I have a little place in my room. I got a little rolly chair that they like. And that's the only time they can sit in it is if they're having a conference <laughs> with me. <laughs> so then they go, Ms. Ochoa, can I sit in the conference chair? Can I come to the conference chair? I need to have a conference. And and I tell them, you, you, have, to, you have to come with a question. You cannot come to the conference without needing something. You can't just sit in the chair. And it's not me initiating the conference. You initiate the conference. And that's not anywhere that I got there soon. In other words, what I meant to say is that that has been successful over time. That's not where I started. I started with it being awkward. I started with me trying to get to everybody. I started with students misbehaving in the back corner of the room while I'm trying mm -hmm. to figure it out. Uh, so anyway, so it's not been smooth all the well, time, but I've had to and, work. 
at you it. And, you and I had trouble, even as people who were fairly experienced with conferring and workshop, we had trouble as coaches kind of articulating mm-hmm. this to people who, like, like even not at our campus, but like when we did like trainings or whatever, right? Right. There would be, there's always resistance to this idea because if you are, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you are teaching in a way um, that is you do a lesson, you hand something to kids for them to do pretty much daily, like some type of task, um, whether it be read this passage, answer questions, do this grammar worksheet, do this program, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that this doesn't work. Like I think mm-hmm. I think in order for conferring to be effective and for you to eventually reach a level where you're conferring and you're uh, and you're confident that the rest of your kids are still working without you constantly looking at them it literally it it, it 100% takes an authentic workshop approach like you can't be teaching hey kids we're going to cover this today okay here's this worksheet go do it and then go confer with kids like it doesn't the it doesn't translate that right. way your kids have to be Reading authentically because that'll keep them engaged in their book, even if you're not watching over their shoulder. And they have to be writing authentically because they will write even if you tell them or even if you're not watching them or even if you're working with one group for a long time because a conference led into a reteachable moment or something like that. Right. Um, but do, do you agree with that? That it, it takes you have to have. In order, like, if for people who are might be frustrated with conferring, who maybe haven't had it work, like, the first step would be asking, do you have workshop where kids are choosing what they read and choosing what they read? Do you think that has to be in this process? Well, yeah, I do. I think, I think that's that's where you start. You start with allowing them to choose something uh, really important and to them, and you. Sometimes uh, it's hard to do because you're strapped with the curriculum that somebody else has imposed upon you based on, like you said, state standards, national standards, um, you know, anything like that. And so, or what the principal or whoever is in charge and what they want. So I think sometimes you have to be creative in how you go about. So a lot of times what I'll do is if I have to hit a topic, I have to, then I use that topic as my model. And then I'll write, and then I'll have the students confer with me. So I'll ask them a question. Where do you think I need to go next? Or I might say, I'm stuck on how to rephrase that. Can somebody help me rephrase this? I'm having trouble with this sentence. But I use that. So like, let's say we have to write about a particular a particular prompt. Okay. Uh, maybe where they say that what what's I think a prompt that we've done what about your favorite day? Oh, let's just say that I don't have a choice. I have to write about my favorite day. So uh, so then I use that as my model, and then I I show them I, I, like I have the kids confer with me, like they become the expert. So we partnered up, if you will, and then I say, okay, now what I want you to do is you get to choose your own topic. And I want you to create something and I want you to be thinking about what you need to do. How do you need to begin? How do you need to do this? And then I'll be right over here for conferencing if you need me. 
just let me know if you need me. Or sometimes I make them sign up. I'll even have that. I'm expecting everybody to try to conference these next two days. So I need you to sign up. I usually do that somewhere in the middle of the process. Anyway, I don't know if that answered whatever we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there it's, 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 it, there's so much to, it's like, it's like base ground level for anyone mm-hmm. who is looking to like, they've heard about conferring, like they might be like us in the or- original days. It might be like you and been fortunate enough to have really good trainers or like me, um, where you didn't have anything and you were just given books and ideas and you were told to kind of make it work. Um, whatever spectrum of professional development you're on, um, I think ground level, you have to make sure that your kids are at least somewhat invested in their reading and writing, you know, just to be a hundred percent transparent. My kids, when I first started teaching English, I taught social studies my first year. When I taught, start, when I started teaching English, we only read 100% only read what I gave them. They did not independently read. I don't even think I had a bookshelf in my room when I started teaching English. Like it was straight up whatever I gave them and then whatever class novel um, we read basically the most traditional, basic English classroom you could have. And then about halfway through the year, I've talked about this transformation before a lot. Um, I read Book Whisper and I changed that. I started letting kids pick their books. We went to the library a lot more. I started encouraging them to independently read and all this other stuff. And then that process slowly transitioned to, okay, now they want to read because they're reading, they're being able to choose, right? I'm, I'm learning them as students. I'm learning them as individuals. This kid loves fantasy. This kid loves sci-fi. This kid loves graphic novels. This kid hates reading. So now I'm tasked with trying to find out what on earth I can give them to make <laughs> them want to read. Mm-hmm. Um, but that ground level, I don't think I could have ever conferred with my students unless they had that freedom of choice. Um, because otherwise, what are they talking about? All they're doing is regurgitating whatever I want them to speak about, right? Like if we're, if we're controlling what they're reading, we're essentially controlling what we want them to think, because that's the only reason, you know, when we're doing a mini lesson, what we're trying to do is point them in the direction of whatever that mini lesson is teaching us, right? If we want them to control dialogue, we're going to show them dialogue. If we want them to have sentence variety, we're going to show them a passage with sentence variety. Um, But if that's all we're ever doing is showing and having them read that, then we're controlling everything they discover. And because of that, Kids don't have anything to confer about. What are they going to do? Just tell you what you want to hear, right? Like that, that's a, I think that's such a specific point that teachers need to ask themselves, like, how much are you really controlling of what kids read? So flash forward a little bit to where kids are independently reading in my classroom. There was, I started to feel like an English teacher. You know what I mean? Like, do you, Yeah. like, and I I think I'm going to ask you this in a second, but like, there was a moment when like, I was like, oh, like, this is English, like reading (laughs) books and talking about books. Like that's, that's English. You know, I was raised in an environment where we were all open to page 248 of the textbook and we popcorn read and that's how we read short stories and that's how we read excerpts. Um, everyone saw to read a class, a class novel and we would sometimes pair read or whatever. And it was, 
it was so controlled. And I remember reading, I remember ignoring the reading we did in class and going to the library to read whatever I was interested in. Like that is a clear image of how I was taught the majority of my life. And that's like, why? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so when you Mm -hmm. started embracing now, actually, I don't know this about you. Did you start out with independent reading or was that something you implemented later? My my first training was with the writing. It just was. And then I took the reading. We also have a reading week that we did. And I think that's where you and I met the first time. And then I became a trainer for that. <clears throat> so that was my first experience with reading. So I really started with writing and I started conferencing with writing. So you and I literally went about our transformations on polar opposite sides. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Cause you started with the reading. So I think yeah. that's why a lot of times I'll refer back to the writing. Cause it's really where I began. And then uh, I became a trainer for reading and which that's where, you know, we met. And so through that training is where I learned how to do uh, reading and then realized it was important to also confer and conference with the students when they read. I also shared with you a while back, and you let me meet her. Thank you kindly, uh, Laura Robb. And uh, so her book about teaching uh, middle school, and then Kylene Beers about uh, her book on when kids can't read. Uh, Those two books probably transformed my reading uh, experience with the students because in those two books, they offer questions that you can ask your students when they don't know how to read. And so you ask them and you probe, you ask probing questions so that you can find out more. The other thing is very important when it comes to me, when it comes to the reading conference, when you're conferencing, you have to be a kid watcher. You have to know what reading looks like. You have to know. And over time, I've even learned what learning looks like. I didn't know that at first. I didn't. But you have to be a kid watcher and you have to know what it, what, true reading looks like you have to know that the eyes are moving across the page and you have and you have to know like when the kids entrance to the point where you can talk to them and they don't even know that you're talking to them and it's not because they have something in their ears it's because they're actually watching a movie behind their eyes and they're so engrossed in their book that they really truly are somewhere else so when you watch those students like that as you're watching them and nancy atwell you know talked a little bit about this. You you take anecdotal notes. You take notes. Now, I don't always take notes anymore. More of them is more like mental as much. But when I first started, I would take, I would literally write anecdotal notes on each student. And I would uh, watch what they do, their characteristics. And then that's where I started my questions. So I'd come to them and said, oh, so it looks like... To, um, How's your reading coming along? And I'd listen, oh, you know, just fine, they'd always say. And I'd say, well, are you struggling with this book? It seems like you've been on this page for a little while. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on while you're reading? And so then they would start telling me, well, I'm rereading it over and over because I'm thinking about other things. And then we would talk about the book, you know. And I think you mentioned Donalyn Miller. One of the first things she does is help help a student find a book. And I think, you know, so that's another area where you can confer. And I always start out with, what kind of things do you like? Tell me what you like. What do you do outside of class? And then start from there. And I think that's where you're really good at it. Uh, Way better than I would. I've watched you with the students. You're way better than me on that. So, Well, you know, I think, and 
I don't know. I, I appreciate that compliment, but it's that's how I feel when I watch you confer with uh, writing. Like you're a freaking <laughs> wizard. But I, I mean, I learned so much watching you confer with my students um, in writing. But with the uh, on the note of Donalyn Miller is she has this chapter, and honestly, I can't. I don't know if I think it's in the book whisper, but it might be in Reading in the Wild. One of the two. But she talks about like this moment where she kind of brings her kids to her library. And mm-hmm. it's basically like a, a frenzy where she's showing books and she's handing out books and she's book talking. And just this is like early in the year, right? Like when you're just getting kids invested in your library, teaching them what it's about, teaching them what's there, showing them what's there. And this energy that comes from choice, right? And I think that is so essential to what we're talking about here and why con- conferring works is and, and why it's valuable too, which is. Students making choices, like making a choice is the most rigorous activity a student can have, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you and I love writing so much. I know I'm talking a lot about reading right now, but the the choices you make as a writer are so rigorous in terms of – I mean, all the way down to the word, to the punctuation, to the structure, to sentence combining, to everything that goes into – crafting a piece that is not only legible, but meaningful. It is the most rigorous activity a human being could ever come to, which is why it's so highly judged. And um, on the reading side, getting students to really think about what books they like and why. And if if you have non-readers, get them to think about, okay, so what is it about books that you don't like? And then as a teacher being skillful and knowledgeable enough to go, awesome. So they really hate this, this, and this. I need to give them this. You know, I always give mm-hmm. the example of um, boys, right? Boy, you know, girls, I think are so much easier to give books to. Um, they're generally are, are, are more strong readers. They're generally the kids, you know, reading is considered mm-hmm. a soft skill. So if you take a, a typical gender approach, girls are usually the higher readers. And I, this extends into adulthood. If anyone doesn't believe me, just look at the statistics of book buyers. Right. The majority of them are women. Um, so as a man myself, I, I'm deeply concerned because I think obviously young boys should be reading and they should be in, interacting with literature in this way. So when we are thinking about young boys, a lot of the times they'll say, We'll we'll start with this question, right? How many times have you heard this? So, what are you interested in? Oh, sports, right? Yeah, football. I, I love football, football. baseball. And I mean, if they're yeah, I have like it's baseball right now. Yeah, today, like in modern times, they might be like MMA, right? Like UFC, like uh, fighting, something, something like that. And that's cool. And a lot of the times, our instinct is to hand that kid nonfiction stuff about Michael Jordan or nonfiction stuff about Babe Ruth or Sammy Sosa or some type of athletic hero. Um, And what's funny is I have never in my life, and I'm not going to say no one has, but in my career, I have never handed a kid a nonfiction sports book and won them over as readers. Not one single (laughs) time. And I think it's because, quite frankly, those books are kind of boring. I think the way you win over a non-reader, specifically a boy non-reader, is to give them 
one, understand more about their life than that they like sports. Of course they like sports. They're a young person, like young person, like girls, uh, boys, like both of them really love sports because it's active, it's engaging, it's mm-hmm. one of the things they have a lot of choice in in middle school, you know what I mean? So like, right. of course they love those things because it's the most <laughs> free aspect of their day. Um but I think when we learn more about their lives, when we learn more about their interests, when we confer with them, when we talk to them as people, then we can start handing them something. And luckily, we have some great writers. We have Jim Candy, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. book. That's It's about football, but it's also about drug addiction. Um right. A lot of my students, I have won them over with that book. Uh, luckily, Jason Reynolds exists in the world, and he wrote Ghost, and um, which is about running and track running. and stuff. But it's mm-hmm. more importantly about a young boy dealing with trauma and channeling his anger into sports, right? Like right. that, those books are transformational. Those authors are transformational because they get these kids, they bring them in with the allure of, yeah, you like sports, let's talk to you about sports. But then here's this idea, here's this concept. And I think that is why conferring is so important and why being knowledgeable about books is so important because we can then pivot a little bit. We can take these interests, Mm -hmm. we can hand them to our students and we can say, Hey, check this out. You might like it. Just give it a chance. Give it a chance. And once we get them, then we can start talking about these deeper ideas, right? We don't have to just Mm -hmm. talk about sports and stuff like that because that's really the heart of conferring is really reaching the heart of a student. And I don't know, and you you can confirm this, but I really feel like when my conferences are going well, I am learning more about the student. There is an emotional like person connection. Do you feel that same way? Oh yeah. And I, and and you can you can sense it. There is definitely a sensing uh and the kids you just can you can just feel they get more confident and they seem appreciative. Yeah. And it, it's they don't say they appreciate it. It's just the way they like you said it's that connection. It, it truly is. Well, and, and then they, later start, on, they start reaching out too, right? Like you said, like they start yeah. coming to you. That happens when that personal connection comes up. Oh, yeah. And then when you – and so that's that's exactly right. And then you follow up. You always follow up. So how did that go? How did that – you know, and, and you don't have to – Penny Kittle even said this. She doesn't always bring them back up to follow up. She might run into them in the hallway and then say, hey, uh, how did – did you try that book? You know, if you did, how did it go? What did you think of it? Did you abandon it? Did you, you know, so so sometimes your conferences can happen outside of the classroom. But I, yeah. I, I say following up if you can, let them know that you remember what they talked about, especially if you have them bring the question. Like if they bring a question to you and then you follow up after, you know, so did that work? Did that help you? You know, how, tell me what happened after you left, then they know that you're still interested. And I do think that's one way that you can really build relationships uh, in your classroom and get the kids to trust you. Yes. Well, and that's, you know, what's so funny. So flash forward, um, my Fridays, I don't know how you treat your Fridays. I always try to make my Fridays a little bit more loose just because, Everyone wants to be relaxed on a Friday, right? It's the end of the week. Mm -hmm. We made it through. Students are feeling it. 
adults are feeling it. So I always try to make my Fridays really relaxed. And to uh, this last Friday was really great. And I, I have to say, again, if people are listening to this podcast for the first time in this episode, you know, I looped up with my students. So I have a, a deep relationship with the majority of them. I know their lives. You know, they they know me. A lot of them have read my book and listened to the podcast and stuff like that. So they have, <laughs> you know, we we just know each other. It's, it's, like a, it's like a little family, which is super great. But I was sitting around a table and sometimes when a conference is going really well, other kids will join in. And I, I think Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher really model this well, which is the the highlight of a of a conference is when kids are really participating. It's not just the adult kind of leading it. It's kids kind of, you know, someone chimes in, someone bounces an idea, and all of a sudden you have this like workshop happening, right? Go back to right. the idea of workshop, which is <clears throat> people working with each other to go through a piece, right? So we were talking and we just started having this conversation and they straight up were talking about, I had students who were commenting, they were like, Chastain, I just, you know, I really love this class. And I was like, well, why? Why do you like this class? You know, because I play music and like, I'm aware that like, right. Um, and, and the, the grand scheme of things, like, you know, people like Chastain's class cause I'm, I'm fairly young and, you know, we connect and stuff like that. And I, I always want something more though. I don't want them to just tell me like I'm the cool teacher. I don't want that title. I want something a little deeper. So I go, well, why do you like this class? And they're like, well, they're like, you actually listen to us. And I go, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you, like when we talk, like you listen to our problems and you listen to what we're talking about is to our, when we talk about a book or writing. And I just feel like we're, we're having a conversation, you know, always teaching us. And I was like, that is what conferring is at its heart is Mm -hmm. when you can bridge the gap between teacher and student, when you can make them feel more one-on-one with you and you can say, as a writer, I think this, but what do you think? Or as a reader, I feel mm-hmm. like this piece doesn't work as well. That, I think that's the magic of conferring because if you can really build those relationships and you can get kids to engage in deep thinking about their reading and writing, but in a way that isn't authoritarian, which I think teaching starts out as, we, th- we start out as authoritarians in general and then we slowly digress that. Um, when you can make them not feel like you're an authoritarian, but you are someone actively involved in reading and writing, that's, that's the money. And I, I feel like my students and why I feel so much success in my reading and writing with my kids is they don't see me as the authoritarian in the room. They see me as a writer and a reader and we have conversations and sometimes we disagree. And sometimes I recommend something as a more experienced reader or writer, Mm-hmm. And that helps them. But sometimes I fully admit, I go, I don't know what you need to do to this piece. What do you think you need to do? Well, it's interesting you said that because I had, I, had a, I guess it was Monday or Tuesday of this week. They were like, I mean, throughout the day, I had almost a similar situation where they were like, we just like this class. This is like my favorite class. Did you know? Cause they want to tell you, you know, this is my favorite class. Yeah. Now, they always do. Yeah. They want to tell you. And I'm like, so I'm like you, I was like, well, why? I mean, I'm this old lady. <laughs> I 
the opposite problem of you. <laughs> I'm not cool and I'm not hip, but I might be groovy. I might be groovy. Right. So anyway, uh, so why? And they go, well, you're chill. You're just chill. And you and you and you're not yelling at us. You you they did. They said the same thing. They said you listen to us. We feel like you're you're helping us. So I thought that was kind of neat. And then on uh, Thursday, I have to I have to confess it's not all all perfect and rosy. So I'm gonna go ahead and share that story I told you. Are you okay with this? Go for it. So I'm sitting out there. You know, it's COVID time. I don't know if anybody realizes that, but we're in a COVID situation. So we have to take, just like in elementary, we have to take our kids out to the hallway to go to the restroom. And, you know, I'd like to say that my kids are perfect, but uh, as we were going, apparently there must've been some kind of rift going on with these two boys. I have them totally opposite. They're not, they really don't talk too much to each other. Uh, And so as we're going out to the room, all of a sudden I, I hear a little commotion and I have this larger kid who's pushed the smaller kid into the wall. He waited on him and I didn't catch that. So I don't catch everything. So that little kid took that larger kid. He must have been trained in martial arts. And he took that boy over his shoulder. Shoes went flying. Glasses went flying. (laughs) That kid goes, boom. Anyway, and I look in there and I went, oh, we're having a real fight. Just like that. I mean, I was like, oh, it's a real fight. And I mean, I hated that it happened. And then I had this other kid throwing up in the trash can over here. And I'm like, stay at the trash can. Just stay at the trash can. (laughs) Then I look in there and I'm like, oh, it's a real fight. I said, do not hit him. Put your glasses on, get your shoes on. Let's go. And I mean, I didn't do anything. So, so I, the commotion was loud because he hit a chair and knocked it over, you know, those kinds of things. So a teacher comes running and he he's on his conference. So he takes the kids down to the office. So I get back to the class. So we all get in there. I take care of the kid who's sick and, you know, that's all good. But this, uh, the kids go, oh, did y'all see that? You know, cause now they're all going to talk about it. Right. And you think I wouldn't get the class back in order, but, but, they're all like, did you see that? And uh, one of the kids said, yeah, Miss Ochoa was really calm. I mean, they never, <laughs> they didn't talk about the fight. They talked about Miss Ochoa was really calm. All she did was say, oh, looks like a real fight. Let's take care of it. And they were just like, wow, did y'all see that? Well, then Friday, Friday, it's all calm. I mean, the kids got back to normal. Oh, by the way, I had a walk through Mr. Uh, one of our professors and the principal. All that came in like just a few minutes after that all happened. Of by the way, I mean, it was like if you're going to do an hour, make it big. So, but then the next day, the the a teacher came to me and said, "You know, Miss Ochoa, the kids were talking about that a fight apparently happened in your room." I said, "Yeah," and they said, "Well, all they talked about was how you responded to it. <laughs> they didn't even I don't even know who fought, but they told me all about your response." He goes, he goes, they really have, they really like you. They they think that you're something else. So anyway, I don't know why, but it was just interesting. But I think it all has to go back to. I do have a good relationship and I do think conferencing, taking time to listen to the kids and even those two that the reason I was able to stop it is because I have a relationship with both of those boys. Does that make sense? Like I could just say, stop. I mean, come on, like a grandma would, you know, we're not going to do this. And so I think that they, they respected me and they stopped and went on and, you know, so anyway, it was kind of an interesting thing. And so then, uh, but the kids were working on that piece where they'd all 
you know, they're, they're taking this idea that they have and they're going deep with it. And uh, they just got back. I said, now let's work on your piece. And they all started working and I played my little, you know, music that you're talking about and they just got back to work. And, but it was, it was kind of a neat, that was my week. That was my week. So uh, it's kind of interesting. I think that speaks highly to the culture you build. And, and that's true. Like my, you know, when things happen, like I, a lot of people, like a lot of students, I, I've said this on Teach Me Teacher podcast, but like I've had kids multiple years in a row be like, Chessa, you just don't yell. You don't mm-hmm. yell at us. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't have anything to yell at you about. Like, we're going to talk it out. And if you're acting out of line, we're going to discuss what you're doing and we're going to go through that. But like, I think kids really do appreciate an adult who doesn't overreact to kid things because kids do stupid stuff. Like, <laughs> like we don't, right. I, I think the one thing that like, <laughs> I, I hopefully people are clear about, like we're teaching at public schools and, um, right. you know, we're, we're both and at title I have lower one economic schools. kids. Yeah. We're, mm-hmm. we're title one schools. Like we're, this isn't like a private school podcast. Like we, we, uh, we're dealing with real world stuff. We have the same standards. We're in Texas, so we have unique situations that we have to deal with. And the the thing that I I believe that we both benefit from is our ability just to embrace kids for being kids and not b- punish them for being who they are. Like kids are going to be dumb. Kids are going to be loud. Kids are going to make stupid decisions. Kids are going to argue. Mm-hmm. Kids are going to be obnoxious, but we work hard to create an environment that shows them that they're respected, that their ideas are important, that their words are valued and that their choices are meaningful. And that. That is not the case in every class. And I don't I don't think it should be either, by the way. Like I don't think like like right. I think social studies has specific things to teach. I think math has specific standards to teach, specifically in Texas. Like I think every subject is different. But for English and for teachers who have the freedom to teach workshop, I really do believe that we are in such a unique position to empower students to be individuals and and build those relationships through that understanding. And conferring has so much to do with that. You know, when I come to my students at the beginning of the year, they're always a little bit, you know, they're a little bit standoffish. They don't share as much, right? They don't go into as much detail about where the piece might have come from. They don't explain so much. But as the year goes on and right now, like I, I I looped up with my kids, but I have a lot of students that I didn't loop up with. They came from other teachers or they moved here or mm-hmm. something like that. So I had to build those relationships. We're at the end of October, and a lot of those students are students who wouldn't talk to me in conferences, are now actively showing me pieces that are deeply meaningful. You know, they're pieces about divorce. Their parents is divorcing. They're pieces about right. them having anxiety. They're pieces about drug abuse in their family. And that is that is not a small thing. Like we think that like trauma in all of its aspects are deeply unsettling to talk and write about. Like they, Mm -hmm. they they're not easy to address. And the moment kids do that, I know that they have bought into the trust that we've built in that classroom. And I think that in that conferring time, my number one goal is to, is to teach them and show them and tell them that, 
you can talk to me. You can share this piece, and I'm going to be unjudgmental about this to the degree that we understand our roles. And my role, when I go into a conference, reading or writing is to understand where they're coming from and encourage deeper thought. That is almost always my intention when I walk into a conference, especially in writing, which is what I, I love writing conferences far more than reading conferences, Mm -hmm. um, which didn't start that way. But now that at this level in my experience, when I go to a writing conference, I know stuff's really working well when a student tells me their idea and we can we can bounce ideas off each other. I can write a line and say, oh, I think this line would be good. Or what do you think about this? Like I was working with one student who she just read The Poet X, which is a fantastic book, really for upper middle school, high school kids. She really connected to it. She loved the story. It's It's written in poetry form. So she read it pretty quickly. And she's writing something about her... Uh, her uncle who has Alzheimer's, right? Mm-hmm. Huge topic, it, especially for a middle schooler, like being able to comprehend just what it means to be a person who doesn't understand the person they are, right? Like that's Alzheimer's, right. like it's people forgetting who they are. And what does mm-hmm. that mean for identity? What does that mean for them? Like does the, what, like oh, there's so many existential questions that go with that. And I knew that this conference was going well because she wrote something, uh, just, she's kind of like brainstormed some stuff and jotted it down. And then over the last like week and a half, we've been going through it paragraph by paragraph, analyzing every sentence and we reorganized it. We went clarified and I was able to talk to her and I was like, okay, What's your purpose for this line? And she would tell me her purpose for this line. And one of the lines she was telling me, I really wanted to get across that, like, I don't want to judge him for this. Like, I'm like, she was like, I'm, I'm mad for my dad because his brother doesn't remember him, but I, but I, but I don't blame my uncle. Right. Like, she's like, it's not his fault. Right. But I want I want to show my anger and how I'm not my anger isn't directed at him. And I was like, that's a amazingly complex emotion. Right. Um, so we worked through that and it took about a week. And this only really uh brought about maybe two or three sentences in a week of processing. But like that I feel like in a traditional classroom, that work isn't valued so much. But think about the thinking you have to do there. One, they're processing their emotions. They're processing how they feel about something. They're processing something incredibly complex that adults struggle with dealing with. Um, they're, 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 they're reaching the existential idea of if your memories are gone, are you still you, right? If you believe mm-hmm. in a soul, for instance, and you don't understand who's around you. Does that soul mean anything? Right? Like those, that's an incredibly. That's crap. Wow. Yeah. And, and we got to those conversations and I, it wasn't me as a teacher trying to point her in any way. It was me as a teacher rather kind of putting bumpers on her thoughts to guide how she could process this and what might work in writing and how she could do this. And I think that's the magic of the conference where I did not plan to do that on Monday. We've been talking about informational text as we talked about on the other podcast. So we talk about informational text and how to give information. And this student is grappling with something that is far more 
uh, nuance than that. But I think that's the beauty of workshop. And it's also the terrifying part of workshop because it's like we have to not only be skillful, but we have to be open enough to tell a student, I don't know how to say that. Let's talk about it. Right. It's, it takes a, it takes, um, almost a humbleness that like, even though you're the educator, you don't know everything. Right. And I think too, when you take time like that, well, you, you kind of made a comment a second ago about how this isn't, you know, you don't get to see that often in a traditional classroom. And I think it's not that the work isn't valued, but I think time is valued more than the work. In other words, we have to get this done by this time because we have to stay on our scope and sequence. We have to, we have to move everybody along at the same pace. And, uh, and life just isn't that way, is it? I mean, Life isn't going along at the same pace. We're all at a different pace. We're all at a different point in our life. And these kids are going through some tough times. Like that little boy that ended up on the floor. I know what kind of time he's having, and it's not a good time. And the other boy that ended up, you know, he's struggling. And uh, and and he's struggling with different things. But because I know that, I think I was able to approach that moment with them. And then when they come back, I'm going to welcome them back and we're going to move on. And, and I think uh, what you're talking about, if you allow the kids to work on things they want to work on, you allow them time to do that and you give them time. And that's one of the things that Nancy Atwell talks about in her book in the middle. They need time and they need ownership and they need response and giving them the response. That's why the conference is so important. The time though is what they need in order to work these things out. And there's some that sometimes I have to say, okay, put that aside. We're going to move on some other things, but we're going to come back to that. And so there, I do have some stories that some of the kids are working on, but for the sake of our curriculum, and I'm at a school where they want everything pretty much, everybody doing the same thing. Uh, so sometimes I have to kind of go along and then, tell the kids we're going to put that on pause but then like you're talking about your Friday so this last Friday I did what you did I they asked me what music I asked them what music they wanted to listen to we listened to the music that they wanted and they all worked on whatever they needed to so it was like a free work and they all worked I mean it was the most peaceful day I had I had that day the day before <laughs> where it was like rat and then I let them all work and they were all working I would get up and walk around I'd have some say Miss Ochoa can I come to your conference chair and I just started the conference chair I had it at another place in the classroom last year and it was more like a conference table but because of COVID I have to uh, what is it? We have to socially distance. So I have to use every space. So I just have this one little area <laughs> that I could have this chair in. And so that's why that, why the conference chair, but I've, I've gone around the room, I conference out there and all of that. But I do think that life doesn't go as scheduled and we have to treat it as such and their brains don't go as scheduled either. We got to give them that time, that freedom and we, that respect. Uh, well, in that work time, and I think we could probably close it out here, which is this, the work time is the most essential part of this, which is, you know, there's times when 
you know, they're kids. Like I have, there's mm-hmm. times where my work time falls apart, right? Kids get distracted. Something happens. Um, kids start talking a little too much, this or that. And, you know, I run my workshop, like I play modern music in my room. Um, I play what they like to hear. You know, sometimes we have dance parties. Sometimes a song comes on that's popular on TikTok and they all start doing the dance. I'm like, okay, this is happening right now. <laughs> like, um, and some teachers are more Well, no wonder why they that. like your room. <laughs> I know, right? I'm just, all we're doing is dancing. Um, <laughs> But it, what the funny part about that, and I know every teacher has different levels of comfort with that, but the, the, the really funny part about all that is I win them when I push them, when I'm encouraging them to think deeper, when I'm f- quite literally being someone who will not let them rely on what they've always done, when I'm pushing them in different levels of thought, when I'm challenging mm-hmm. their thinking, when I'm pushing the way they approach a book or approach their writing, they accept it because I lower their effective filter so low. I mean, imagine like, I just imagine me being a teenager and if a teacher had played the music I was listening to in high school, they would have won my soul over to such a degree that I would have died for them. You know what I mean? Like I would have right. went, I would have done anything for them because I know that they're not just my teacher. There's someone who really understands me and, and music for me. And I'm a musician. I grew up playing music. Like it's so essential to who I am. So I think that's why partly why I feel so comfortable with it is when I can bond with them on a, on an artist or a song and, we can talk about that and, you know, I, and I can let them, and I know the writer process isn't like you write a hundred percent of the time and you, okay, let's kid. All right, kids, let's start with our topic sentence. We're going to write topic sentences for the next 30 minutes. And then tomorrow we're going to work on supporting details, you know, like moving away, <laughs> moving away from that stilted approach to writing and embracing right. the fact that like, Writers sometimes, like when I'm writing, like I've written a book and I've, I'm writing another one and we're writing one together Like I've written a bunch of fiction books just in my own time. Like writing is not something that happens in a vacuum. You don't just go sit in a room and write for three hours straight. You listen to music, you get distracted, you look at YouTube, you call someone, you text someone. Like there's all of this <laughs> stuff that happens. And I know they're kids and it's school, so we have to put boundaries on some of that stuff. But my point is we also have to embrace the writerly process. If kids are writing in workshop, like you don't write, like sometimes sitting and thinking is valuable. Sometimes chatting with someone is valuable because it allows your brain, like there's, there is scientific evidence and proof that shows we process by having conversations about other things. How many times have you been in a problem in your own personal life and you call someone to talk about something totally irrelevant, but by the end of that conversation, you feel better about whatever it is that you were trying to process in your own life. It happens all the time. It right. is, it's how the brain processes. That's why we like watching TV. That's why watching movies and books that are, that are just kind of junk food. It allows our brains to process information while we're enjoying something. So I, I embrace that and I have to put controls on it. Obviously it's not a free for all in my workshop, but giving kids that freedom and understanding how the brain works and processes like there's certain liberties we can do. We can allow kids to listen to music and we can let kids talk a little bit and we can let kids interact. And in a conference, we can kind of let it get derailed to talk about their personal lives or something else like that because we understand where it's going and we have a focus. We're never letting off the focus, which is 
are we getting better in writing? Are we getting better in reading? And I think that is, I think that's the heart of the workshop. I don't know. That's it. That's all I got. Well, I think you don't know that if you don't conference. A hundred percent. So bringing it back all back to the beginning, right? You don't know unless you confer. So let's close it out there, Pam Ochoa. This is the craft and draft podcast. We could, I mean, I'm telling you, we're going to talk about, we're going to probably gonna talk about conferring a million times before the end of this podcast. If it ever is, we might be 90, a hundred years old before this podcast <laughs> ever closes out. But if you enjoyed this episode, ladies and gentlemen, please leave a rating on your podcast app. Some of y'all have been very good about doing that so far. So if you've listened to this, this is your first time, second time, third time, ninth time listening to this podcast, leave a rating. It really does help us leave some kind words. If you're feeling extra, check out our website at craftanddraftworkshop.com where you can find every podcast that we have done. Hit subscribe so you get every podcast as it released every single Friday where we talk about workshop and just have an honest hour or so talk about what we are doing, what we are processing and what we are doing. So thank you for listening to this podcast. Pam Ochoa and I deeply thank you so much for listening Mm -hmm. and coming along and joining this. The Craft and Draft book, some of y'all have been asking me in my DMs about when this book is coming. It is in the process, you know, COVID (laughs) and, and dual teaching has definitely uh, just challenged us as writers to be able to accomplish writing and podcasting and teaching all at once, but it is coming. The craft and draft book is coming. We want to help you, um, embrace the standards based approach to reading and writing workshop. And it's definitely going to happen. So stick around. You will definitely have news about that very soon, but for everything else, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here for you. 